0: welcome to what's Eric eating culture maps weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants I'm your host culture map food editor Eric Sandler I have Tassos Katza unis Chico Ramirez and Scott Simonson from white Elm cafe bakery coming up in a little bit before I introduce my co-host this week I did just want to remind everybody we are recording this podcast remotely we are following social distancing we are using zoom to facilitate all of the various interviews so we are doing our very small part to limit the spread of COVID-19. And I hope that everybody who's listening to this is out there staying safe and, and practicing, uh, you know, following good practices. So without further ado, let me introduce my co-host this week. He is a Houston restaurant veteran and a co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back.
0: Hey, thanks for being here. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. This is actually something that I probably should have talked about last week, so we're catching up a little bit. Liberty Kitchen has a new owner, Culinary Concepts. This is the affiliate of Studio Movie Grill, purchased Liberty Kitchen from its founder, Feed Texas. So that means that Culinary Concepts now owns both Two locations of Liberty Kitchen, the one in Memorial and the one in River Oaks, as well as two locations of State Fair. Good news for Liberty Kitchen fans is that Chef Lance Vegans remains the culinary director for Liberty Kitchen. So he's still overseeing the menu and and the dishes and all of that. But it is a fresh start for a restaurant that had closed at the start of the pandemic and had not reopened until very recently. So, Michael, with all that said, let me throw it to you. How do you kind of see Liberty Kitchen, and do you think this is a smart acquisition for culinary concepts?
1: I think it potentially could be a great victory for both of them. Um, Liberty Kitchen is it has a the menu's problematic to do to go menu. It's a little pricey, you know. It's going for like the bigger portions, uh, and I can see why they did kind of pivot to the to go style. Um, you know, that, that a lot of restaurants can't do that. And I think they were one of them that fit into that. Um, they started in the Heights, which was wildly successful and they're keeping that. Um, and this allows them to rebrand so they can keep their favorites, be loyal to their, uh, the regular patrons who have been with them forever and then start something new. Uh, and then as far as the whole state fair group, they've kind of, uh, they're, they're getting very valuable locations, uh, and they've been more on the periphery out, beyond in the Memorial and now Sugarland area. And so this gives them presence, you know, inside the loop. Uh, So potentially it could be a great thing for both of them.
0: Yeah. And and I should say that the original Liberty Kitchen in the Heights at the intersection of Studewood and 11th Feed kept that. And that is going to be rebranded as a new restaurant with a new name and possibly a new concept. Uh, But I do agree with you that there is something about Liberty Kitchen has a pretty devoted following kind of upscale Southern inspired kind of cuisine. And I always did think that it was kind of a good fit for both River Oaks and the Memorial area. And so I'm, I'm glad that it's been uh, rescued as it were by the acquisition.
1: Yeah. uh, And like, I can't speak to what the finances are, but Certainly having an acquisition, and uh, it gives them a, a huge cash infusion to, to get through this uh, current uh, crisis, as it would be, and uh, potentially come out you know, really strong.
0: Of course, there is, there is one sort of small uh, coincidence associated with both restaurants. They share a founder in the person of Lee Ellis, who was originally part of Feed Texas, left that group to start cherry pie hospitality where he opened state fair. And then cherry pie fell apart. Lee is, uh, no longer in Houston, but I always kind of thought of state fair as like a slightly more casual, slightly more affordable evolution of Liberty kitchen. And so there is, I, you know, it's like, it's like Alanis Morissette ironic where it's, it's not really ironic.
1: But it it does. Isn't that a coincidence? Don't you think? Like it's extremely ironic. It's extremely ironic, and probably only interesting to you know the people in the industry or industry the the whole sort of gossip of ownership. uh, I don't think extends beyond that. But you know, for people like us, it uh, it, it's not even a head scratcher. It's kind of like just okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like some weird karmic. You know, inevitability, like, of, of course, these, you know, these two restaurants that are have this kind of strange shared history are now united under common ownership, even though they were never intended to be uh, or they were never established to be in that position.
1: No, not at all. And, and this weird circuitous route uh, uh, that they come together on is, is like I said, uh, the irony is rich.
0: All right, let us move on to topic number two. There's a new seafood restaurant coming to the second ward. It is called Acadian Coast. It uh, it brings together some interesting folks. The first one is Bruce Gingrich, who owns uh, a, a bunch of different restaurants, uh, franchises around Houston, but, but it was supposed to be a Corky's barbecue that he was going to open up there on Navigation Boulevard. Corky's has not resonated with Houstonians, so he has pivoted, to use everybody's favorite word. He recruited John Avia, the chef-owner of El Burro and the Bull and Henderson and Kane, to help him develop this concept. And then John hired Chef Philippe Gaston, who people might know either from his work at Haven, where he had the Cove Cold Bar, or from his lengthy tenure at both Catterobata and Izakaya in Midtown. So, former having having laid all that out, you have uh, you know John a little bit through the barbecue festival certainly, and as a, a patron of Henderson and Kane. What do you think of uh, Acadian Coast?
1: Well, uh, Houston can never have enough, you know, quality seafood and uh, places, and and I, I always. Like you can go to the smallest town in Louisiana and you're going to find, you know, a good food there. It's like the food culture is incredible. And so why is it so hard for you know us to have a good Cajun places? You know, you could have got, a you know, a Creole. You've got units at the very high end uh, and BB's kind of establishing BB's comes the closest. Uh, but, you know, places like Boudreaux's and uh, Papado obviously going for the economy of scale to the bigger um you don't get that, that feeling, that taste at all. And so I think this is an exciting idea that they could bring in really good quality recipes and execute. And, you know, uh, that whole area is just absolutely to say it's transitional would be a horrible cliche. Cause it's, it's, it's transitioned and only growing. Uh, and I think it's exciting.
0: Right. I mean, this historically Mexican neighborhood, is in the midst of an incredible amount of redevelopment. You know, you know, it used to just be, you know, Ninfas or maybe, uh, Oh, that's terrible. I can't think of the name of the breakfast. The taco La Merida. Place. Well, yeah, Merida. And then the breakfast talk, the, the sainted breakfast taco place. That's right there on, on navigation.
1: Oh, that's gonna not brothers. That's
0: no, true. that's, that's on, uh, that's emancipation.
1: I used to go to Merida because it was the only place I could get, you know, when I first came to Houston for good mole. Uh, and then, of course, going to NIMP, the original Nymphas there.
0: Yeah. i are going to have Arcos. to let you
1: go, I think. Is, Via,
0: I think Via Arcos is the place that yeah, I Yeah, Via of Arcos. Of that's scientist. it. Via Arcos. Anyway, and
1: then the, the tamale place, too, the tamale house.
0: Right. So, but, you know, there's, there's development along the Navigation Esplanade. Obviously, Midway's doing their East River project a little bit north of that. Harrisburg has the rail line so that whole area all kinds of new residential construction apartment buildings You know updated houses all that kind of stuff so the identity of that neighborhood is is changing and so the idea you know when I was going to Ninfas the original ninfas in high school and seeing mama ninfa greeting diners by the door an upscale seafood restaurant would not have seemed like a fit but now it seems like a a terrific idea with a really really talented team behind it. And then I, I talked to Philippe a little bit, and as he's kind of dug into the history of who the Acadians were, you know, these descendants of French immigrants who started in Canada and then migrated all the way south to Louisiana. They got kicked
1: out. They got kicked out.
0: Right, right. So he has this vision of, you know, well, what kind of, what kind of food were they cooking in Canada? Well, so maybe they had wild game or maybe they worked their way through Appalachia and encountered different kinds of foods, or maybe they were in, in trade with people in the Caribbean and encountered, you know, these kinds of foods that, that eventually influenced Cajun and Creole cuisine. So it's a, it's a really open book and, and, you know, yeah, you can go and get, you know, they'll have raw oysters and roasted oysters and, snapper and all that kind of stuff but then they may also dabble in like the roots of the acadian people and and i just think that that aspect could be really exciting
1: that's compelling uh i mean one thing louisiana is known for depending on where you like in the smaller towns even in the larger ones is they'll pretty much cook anything you know (laughs) yeah i've done a lot of road trips to these small towns doing not just the the boudin trail but you know, tasting everything as I go. And it's like, nothing seems to be off limits. Uh, So the, 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 you know, the the room for creativity uh, in execution, as well as in, in content in, in what they're serving is, uh, you know, almost limitless.
0: Well, yeah. And then uh, just the other thing is, you know, Philippe has been kind of, you know, been the guy behind the guy for so long working for, other chefs at different successful restaurants and this is going to kind of be his stage. And he's someone who's kind of been, you know, behind the scenes for a long time and it'll be really interesting to see what he does when it's, you know, more or less his restaurant.
1: Yeah. Well he, I mean, he pretty much ran at Sakaya, you know, and I guess he's at just uh, he's at cherry block now with, uh, with Jess Timmons and Felice, uh, Felice. Um, you know, and John has good experience, you know, having run, you know, his places now for several years, both in, in, in now in a brick and mortar as well as in the food halls. Uh, so, you know, this great potential for something really successful as well as exciting, I think, for Houston. Absolutely.
2: OK, sorry for the interruption. More of what's Eric eating is coming up here in a second. But first, this is super important. Babe Wine has officially made its way to Texas. Yep, that's right. It's the cute, delicious, take-anywhere bubbly wine in a can that pairs well with literally everything. Even your grandma's iconic cornbread. Thanks, Grandma. Find our Grigio, Rosé, and red wines at HEB, Specs, Kroger, Walmart, and Target. You're welcome. Now back to the show. Mmm, Rosé and cornbread. Who would have thought?
0: All right, and then topic number three. Ryan Lachaine the chef-owner of Riel and a frequent guest on this show has a new, uh, well, ghost kitchen concept, I guess, for lack of a better word, that he has launched out of Riel. It is called Louis. It is a lunch concept for sandwiches uh, built around, you know, the Butter Burger that's been a signature at Riel. And then he's got some sort of louis specific items, including uh, a chicken parm, a chicken caprese. I know he's doing a... A fish sandwich that, uh, I think, if we call it a fillet of fish, you will get a cease and desist letter from the Golden Arches. So we won't call it a fillet of fish, but if you if it reminds you of that sandwich, that's probably not a coincidence.
1: Funny you should mention that. So guess what I had for lunch today? What did you have for lunch today? I had the fillet of fish sandwich from Louise. Uh, and. You know, I went and picked it up. I uh, called them. It was easy. Uh, they need to tweak the online because it doesn't show like a 12 o'clock time. But that's something that they'll, you know, little details, they'll get figured out very quickly. I'm sure by the time this airs, it'll be fine. Uh, but the fishy was delicious. It was hot. There was a little melted cheese. Just enough tartar sauce didn't overwhelm it. The bread, the buns there, uh, I guess Alyssa does the the baking of the bread uh, is just, that's kind of that's like, right. they're, no,
0: they're sourcing their breads from Alyssa Dole, who is a veteran pastry chef who's worked for a bunch of people and is currently with the Kirby group. So that's, yeah,
1: it was. So it, I was like, would I have it again? Absolutely. I can't wait to go back and try all the sandwiches, uh, You know, sandwich culture, there was a, a, for a while there, Houston didn't really have good sandwich culture, which seems like a a horrible thing to say, Uh, but that's been changing over the years. And I think this represents a, a, you know, a great part of that Uh, because their selections are, you know, they're very classic. It's not, this place is in a deli. Most of the stuff is all hot, you know, so you can have a great meal, Uh, reasonably priced. It's not super cheap, but the ingredients for what you get, the value is completely there. Uh, and would I have the fish sandwich again absolutely right
0: i I picked up a chicken parm uh, about a week ago and you know chicken was crispy on the outside juicy in the middle nice vibrant you know tomato sauce like it get, gets that tart sweet balance you know really gooey parm on top of the on top of the chicken breast I mean you know how was the bread a, uh, the bread was good you know I by the time I drove it home you know obviously, that combination will start to get a little bit soggy, but super just flavorful. And and it's hard to, it's probably hard to screw up a chicken parm sandwich. I mean, that's such a classic <laughs> combo, but nice. I was, I was really happy with it. And so I have not tried the, the, uh, fried fish sandwich, but that is definitely on my radar as is that, uh, chicken caprese. That looks
1: really good. Yeah. And you know, little things like the coleslaw is really good. I'm not, I'm not a mayonnaise person at all. You know, uh, I've been to know and say many derogatory things about it, but uh, this has just a touch of Duke's mayonnaise in it, but it's really crisp. Uh, just great roughage, uh, a nice mix of, uh, of, of Julian vegetables in there. Uh, I, you know, to say, I love the coleslaw. It's usually a phrase that doesn't come out of my mouth, but uh, it was really good. <laughs> it's something that no one has, I,
0: I love the coleslaw is something that no one has ever said in the history of the world. Uh, <laughs> Let me just let me just wrap this up with one other thought. Do you think Ryan is kind of on a on a trend here? I mean, do you think that we'll see more chefs with kind of elevated? I wouldn't necessarily call real fine dining, but it's definitely you know a a restaurant of quality. Do, do you think we'll see more restaurants kind of doing this where they utilize their their kitchen that may not be running at full capacity right now? To kind of have that cheaper alternative generate a little revenue, generate a little buzz.
1: I think it makes sense for certain neighborhoods and certain restaurants. You know, as you and I both know, it's like really the mid to upper end restaurants are having the biggest problem. The the really high end restaurants really problematic uh, during this this uh, you know during this crisis. Um, and so, it, it a big issue isn't even just coming up with a menu like that or trying to distribute it, whether it fits their identity you know, or rebranding it. It's uh, also, do you have the labor? I mean, that's one of the biggest costs for restaurants is labor. And if you're trying to operate, you know, on a limited capacity at night, are you going to bring in more staff to do this other separate menu? Or are you just going to say, hey, we need you to do this also? When there, in many cases, they could be, you know, already kind of pushed to a certain stream. So, you know, if they can balance the labor issue, uh, I think it could be successful for a lot of restaurants to do that kind of thing.
0: Absolutely. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Our restaurants of the week are brought to you by Cutwater Spirits. Cutwater Spirits takes their award-winning real spirits, uses them to make great cocktails, which they then put into cans, so you can easily take them where no cocktail has gone before, even if that's just your own backyard in summer 2020. Cutwater offers a convenient way to enjoy your favorite bar quality cocktail outside of the bar setting. They have a wide variety of over 17 delicious canned cocktails and 20 bottled spirits. So there is something for everyone. The vodka mule, tequila, margarita, grapefruit, vodka, soda, and tequila soda are just a few of their fan favorites. You can find Cutwater locally at Specs, Total Wine, Goody Goody, and more. Visit Cutwaterspirits.com for more information. So, Michael, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about two different places. Let's start with Street to Kitchen. This is the new Thai restaurant in the East End opened by Chef Benchuan Painter, a Thai native who moved to Houston with her husband Graham. She has worked at both Salt Seafood Kitchen and uh, Theodore Rex, among other places, prior to opening Street to Kitchen. Uh, people may recognize her from the Urban Harvest Farmers Market where Saturday morning she sells Thai omelets. You know, we were talking about Louie and you said Houston is not known for having a lot of great sandwiches. I, I would also stipulate that Houston is not really known for great Thai food. And so I put it to you. Is this the Thai restaurant that we've kind of been waiting for?
1: Um, I think it's a good addition. Uh, I would could, I would agree with you. Like, we don't have a, a good rep for a lot of uh, Thai. Um, I mean, there's a Thai place near There's two Thai places near me that I never went to just because they were so, you know, just average. Um, I would go out to Veng Thai on Long Point. Um, you know, or go to Asia market to get that hybrid. Um, so yeah, we can't have enough. It's great to, to see it come. I didn't have the pleasure of having our stuff at the farmer's market. I, it certainly, you know, came across my social media quite often. And uh, I started following them before I ever went there just because it looked so interesting. So when we got a chance to actually try the food, I was, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was blown away by it. Uh, I was blown away by the quality of it. Uh, all the dishes we had—I mean, all of them were good. Um, yeah, no, I, we
0: were we were invited by a Chef to come try some of what she's been working on, and we had—I would say—most of the menu. Uh, did you have a favorite or two from what we tried? Because I mean, for me, that that red curry with the, the chicken and the, uh, tofu in it. Yeah. That Um, was
1: the, the masa curry. Yeah. I like what I like what she's doing with that is that there's a touch of heat to it. Like you'd expect from Thai food, but it's pretty restrained, you know, for, for the area, for the market, as you know, like if you go to a Thai place and say, Hey, I want it hot. Guess what? You know, (laughs) they'll make it hot, you know, and they'll laugh at you when they, when they burn you down. Um, so it's, it, it's really accessible, if, I think, for anyone to go there. You know, you'll get a touch of the heat because you expect that. Like, if it was bland, then it would be really disappointing, but it wasn't. But, you know, it's, that's, a, that's an easy personal thing. If you say, hey, I want it hotter, they'll do it. And um, I, was, I was really impressed by the fried chicken. Uh, it was crisp. It was flavorful. It was moist. Um, I like the little touch of having the, the fried shallots kind of embedded into the breading. Uh, it wasn't overwhelming on it, but it was just like just a little touch, uh, you know, the pad Thai, the drunken noodles, and even the Thai tea, I really enjoyed.
0: Yeah, usually, I mean, usually that Thai tea is just a sugary mess, but but this had that kind of, you could actually taste the tea, even with the the sweet condensed milk and the sugar. So I thought...
1: Yeah, it, it was actually refreshing without being heavy, you know. Uh, right.
0: And then just and to it, go to go back to your point, that fried chicken you know, you're right. It's crispy and it's juicy. It wasn't very spicy, but then you have your choice of, um, her chili cilantro sauce or a sweet chili sauce. And, you know, a little dab of that and there's the heat right there. So you get that, you know, especially in, in that part of the city. I mean, you're not that far from the original location of Frenchies, which of course is spicy Creole style fried chicken. So this is this is its own kind of creation. There's a little bit of rice flour in the batter to get that that nice crispy crust, and then those those sauces. You know, if you do want that heat, you know, they're there for you.
1: It's a little bit further. Than, was it Harrisburg? I guess uh, is the street. Um,
0: yeah, it's it's Harrisburg. It's like 6500 Harrisburg, so it's it's a yeah.
1: gas station,
0: and we should say they're really um, they're only doing to go for now, right? They have a little. You order online. They have a drive-up window. You get the you get your food. You go home. Uh, it's very it's very simple, um, in that sense. Uh, and I, I will give Chef credit for one other thing. She does those uh, garlic soy veggies, and one of the veggies, especially this time of year, was kale. And uh, you know, kale is. I think I think barbecue in is the the restaurant that uses kale the best. Uh, that is to say, it is a garnish. They don't actually expect you to eat it. <laughs> Uh, So, but, uh, but Chef Benchawan got me to, got me to eat my kale. That, uh, that garlic soy sauce is pretty compelling. So
1: I think they're using DoorDash also. I had, I talked to two, yeah, I talked to two friends who got delivery, uh, and for the most part got really good uh, reactions from them, particularly on like the, uh, drunken noodles and the pad Thai. Uh, so that works too.
0: Right. I mean, I, I had the opportunity to go to Lotus of Siam in Las Vegas uh, shortly before the world shut down. And that restaurant has an incredible reputation, maybe the best Thai restaurant in America. And it just kind of opened my mind up to what the possibilities for this cuisine are. Uh, Street to Kitchen is is not operating at that level. Uh, I don't think anyone expects it to. But, you know, Scratch Made curries. Uh, local produce, very flavorful, Uh, you know, this is a really nice addition. And uh, especially, you know, just talking about Acadian coast and everything else that's going on uh, on the east side of town, you know, add this into the mix, right? Cool, cool new Thai restaurant, super talented chef, just a a real boon to the neighborhood.
1: And and I almost hate to use that phrase, you know, they cook from the heart. But it really, I really walked away feeling that like this is like this is something that that's come from her her upbringing from her childhood. It all tasted so good, uh, and it I just walked away from that place going, you know what? I really want them to succeed, and I want to be a part of that success. Is and that's you don't I don't get that feeling all the time. That really that strong emotional tie. Uh, I was really kind of surprised by it, and uh, I think that's worth sharing.
0: Absolutely, and then let us talk also about. Rosie Cannonball, uh, not a not a new restaurant, a restaurant that's been open for just about a year now, but a, a place that I really hadn't been to, kind of since the start of the pandemic. I'd, I'd gotten to go there uh, once or twice, but I hadn't sat in the dining room. Let me just uh, let me start to you. What did you think of our dinner at uh, Rosie Cannonball?
1: I thought it was excellent. Um, you know, I made a list of area restaurants that I wanted to to patronize. Uh, during the, you know, when this, when the whole uh, pandemic started, when the whole sort of shutdown and reopening uh, and i really endeavored to support the local places. Uh, I think I had the, I had a Domino's pizza once cause I had a free pizza. So I got that. But other than that, I've been able <laughs> to do that and they were on the list, but they hadn't reopened. And so going there, you know, it's, you know, when you have that kind of abstract thought, like, Oh yeah, I remember that place. It was good. You know, I really enjoyed it. But then you have the food again and it, brings back all that emotion and and thoughts about the quality when you saw just how they executed and the quality of the food. uh, You know, the blistered peppers that have been grown to, uh, you know, blend some of the, take some of the capsaicin out so that you get the flavor, but not the heat or not most of the heat. Uh, A lamb shank that was incredibly tender, but not quite completely falling off the bone. You know, it was just kind of that perfect texture of I guess twosomeness. Should I say that? Yeah, um, well,
0: I you know what I, I was thinking about this, you know, in, in barbecue pork ribs, right? Um, especially in Texas, we don't like them quite fall off the bone. We like them with a little bit of pull. Correct. And that was kind of the texture for the lamb shank, right? You can you can go to places where they cook the lamb shank and it just it falls apart at the at the slightest graze of a fork. Uh, this kept more of its texture and I thought made for maybe a more satisfying eating experience because of that, right? showed showed off some of the technique of uh, Felipe Riccio and his crew.
1: To be sure, and you, get, you really get the lamb flavor, but it wasn't at all, you know, I don't want to impress upon anyone that it was gamey at all. It was just, it was really perfect. And then the, you know, the crisp vegetables with it, uh, oh God, I could, I could eat that every week.
0: Yeah. I, I could eat a lot of that. And then even, you know, we got a little fig and speck tartine to starter, you know, as a starter and certainly, you know, the toast thing is become kind of cliche, but when, you know, the bread is that good and figs are in season and the quality of the speck is good, you know, what's not to love.
1: Yeah. It, it tastes as good as it looked. Uh, once again, getting like those great Texas mission figs, Oh man, so good. And then, you know, to the to the credit of the, the pastry department,
0: they made you a, a pavlova believer.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always look at pavlova and like, uh, this looks like something I should put in my bathroom or something. Uh, you know, it never has that kind of strong visual appeal because it just looks like a, a white orb of styrofoam. Um, and, you know, without any kind of counterbalance of flavor or texture, it, it tastes that way, but not this one. Having that, that, that peach sorbet, having the, the raspberry coolie in there, just enough acid. God, uh, it, it really did make me a believer. And there's nothing like having a dish that you're almost predisposed to not liking. I, I pretty much was. And then they win you over. It tastes even better that way.
0: Right. Sweet tart, you know, crispy pavlova, you know, the creamy peach sorbet. So you get that contrast of, you know, hot, cold different textures, different flavors. Uh, yeah, It's a it's a really impressive dessert. I remember it was on the opening menu at Rosie Cannonball. You know, they took it off when peaches went out of season. Even though I understood the decision, I was still mad about it, you know, kind of how dare you. Um, and so I was really glad to see it back on the menu and I'm, and I'm glad that we, we finished our meal that way.
1: Yeah, yeah. The pavlovas I've had before have been pretty one note and boring and this was anything but, but at the same time, it wasn't like, you know, they weren't stretching the boundaries and going crazy with it. Uh, it was real basic, but it was fantastic.
0: Yeah. And I think that's kind of the whole secret to Rosie cannonball is, you know, great ingredients, solid technique. Don't fuck it up.
1: Yeah. Taking in kind of the Basque Italian French areas, which of course those areas are known for, having kind of standard recipes that are a little different in every town. And you could see that, that obviously the chef and or owner, whoever's R&D, these recipes had done that, you know, this isn't something where they opened a book. It really does taste like something like someone's traveled to a town and said, you know what, this is the one, this is the one we're going to do. And it, it really tastes like that.
0: Absolutely. All right. Michael Fulmer, thank you very much.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: And I'll be right back with the team from White Elm Cafe Bakery. Stick around. I am joined this week by three of the partners in White Elm Cafe Bakery, a new restaurant that just opened up in the Memorial area. Gentlemen, let me introduce you individually so people can hear your voices. Chico Ramirez, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Tasos Unis, Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm
3: great, Eric. Thanks for
0: having me back. And Scott Simonson making your making your podcast debut. How's it going?
2: Uh going great. Thanks so much for having us.
0: So so Chico, let me let me start with you. It's been about hundred and fifty episodes since you were last on the show. You and uh Travis Lennock opened field and tides in the heights. You uh you obviously have moved on. How did you, how did this project kind of come together and why did it sort of seem like the next, the right next move
4: for you? Things like this, you know, it's always a a wild set of circumstances, how you get to your next, next project. Um, Tassos was actually one of our vendors at field and tides. And he and I just generated a friendship outside of work. And, he had said and mentioned one time, hey, a cool cafe concept, combining bread and a menu. And we just kept talking about it, talking about it. Uh, I sold my interest in Field and Tides back in June of last year. And then Tassos and our, my conversation became much more serious. Um, at that time, I spoke with uh, Scott and Stacy, long, long time friends. We've known each other for 20 plus years about coming on board with this as well. And somehow or another, we hatched this crazy idea to build a French Mediterranean full-scale bakery out on the West side um, for all the great families that live out here.
0: Scott, let me, let me kind of bring you in because you and your wife, Stacy own Chez nou, the uh, legendary French restaurant in Humboldt. You know, Chico comes to you and he's like, Hey, I want to open a restaurant in, in Memorial What did, how did you kind of see your role in, in bringing this project to
2: life? Well, you know, thankfully Chico knew us and he kind of knew what our lives were like completely enveloped by Shea New. And so we've of course had dreams and and things like that of, of doing some other stuff, but every time we're unable to take on something outside of Shea New full on. So he knew coming in how to approach it, how to talk about what our role would be and, uh, that was really it because we knew that we wouldn't get pulled away from what's most important, and that's Shea New. So thankfully, we were able to develop a lot of the recipes and things like that in our kitchen there. Uh, As well, during this COVID and the shutdown, we actually really fine-tuned things with our curbside and and pop-ups we were doing. So I guess one of the few blessings that comes out of this uh, is we were able to really uh, get into the recipes for White Elm uh, without sacrificing what we were doing at Shea New.
0: And then, Tassos, let me let me bring you into the mix here. I mean, you when you were on the show, you, you were sort of talking about, you know, maybe a bakery that kind of sells pastries and Greek coffee. Uh, obviously, this is considerably more ambitious than that with a full service, full savory menu, liquor license, the whole thing. What about this appealed to you you know, working with Chico and Scott instead of maybe going out on your own for a like a Breadman-branded cafe?
3: Yeah, it's, it's really, you know, the partnership for me, Eric. Um, you know, Chico, with his tenure in the industry and his track record of success, and you look at, you know, Scott and Stacy who are obviously very talented, and I think that speaks through our menu, and with their experience and tenure with Chenu and Chenu's success... You bring in a guy like me who is a commercial bakery owner in a previous life, you know, a desk jockey working in a a consulting firm, to take on something like White Elm or even a a counter with a coffee program and some baked goods still takes a lot of work and effort. And so for me, when Chico and I realized we had a more serious conversation, I got really excited to know that I'm going to have some of the best in the industry to partner with to bring something that's even more special uh, and more of an offering uh, to now in memorial, so it was a no-brainer for me. Uh, honestly, I'm very very happy uh, to be part of this group.
0: Scott, let me let me bring you let me bring this back to you a little bit because I, you know, I had I had dinner with you guys last week, and I was talking to my friend about where does this restaurant fit in, right? Because it's you know when when I think about kind of the quintessential Houston. Neighborhood cafe, I think about, you know, maybe Barnaby's, which is very much, you know, salads, burgers, steaks, like very all American, very classic. You know, you guys are kind of going on your own. You, I mean, you do some of that stuff, but but at the same time, I mean, there's an octopus appetizer, there's a duck bun me, you know, there's a $31 piece of snapper, and it's all delicious and it's all absolutely worth eating. But but sort of how did you how did you conceive of this because it, it seems like you're kind of you're kind of high low and you're also kind of you know maybe choose your own adventure in the sense that if you want to go like hardcore food lover you can do that or if you just want like a quick lunch you can do that too.
2: Yeah, I mean you know the thought on that is uh, the fact that the the customer is so much more educated now. I mean Shaneewa is thirty five years old, so we you know, we're not stuck in the same menu. Now we have our classics, but we have so much technique that is old school and working with that for so long, we know the way we can turn that into comfort or comfortable uh, cuisine. Now, uh, again, that type of cafe that we're doing, uh, sure, it's not a typical cafe, uh, but again, to bring that sort of uh, culinary expertise, not tooting our own horn, but the techniques Uh, into the kitchen so that we can make a better product. Uh, That's exactly what we wanted a gun for. Uh, We've done, you know, our own sandwiches and things like that at home and using something that we've, you know, brining our own Turkey, brining the ham, making our own ham, so to speak. That's, that's the level that we wanted to take it to, not just a, uh, a second thought and okay, we'll throw a ham sandwich on there. Uh, So that's really where that came from was utilizing the finer techniques because, in French fine dining, you know, you put a lot of dresses on things. And really it's it's peasant cooking, as Chef Brock taught us from the beginning. It's utilizing what you have, it's making the most of everything that you have and using all that product, and then getting very clever with it. So it's just the same thing, just taking the tablecloths off the tables. And then Chico, let me let me ask you about this. I mean,
0: you had to you have business partners who have their own establishments that they want to run. I mean, obviously no one, no one expects to see either Tassos or Scott and Stacy in the dining room every night. So how did you kind of knowing that put together a team that can execute this vision on a day in and day out basis?
4: Well, I, I think more than anything, you said it, you got to find the right team. So I was lucky enough to have worked with Jesus Salinas, uh, formerly of field and tides previous to that Liberty kitchen. So he had, he and I have a great longstanding relationship uh, Jamie, uh, actually had, uh, experience with Tassos, uh, formerly of Latab. So those two right there providing a major backbone in the kitchen, um, looking at front of the house again, Tassos had met, uh, Richard Brown, former AGM of Garden Grace, and had spoken highly of him. We got the opportunity to meet on a number of occasions and just really found, uh, you know, just a great relationship right off the bat with him. For me, it's oversight. For me, it's making sure that all the pieces are in place and allowing the team members to do what they do, which is utilize their experience and their knowledge and their professionalism to deliver the end product, which is
0: what we're shooting for. And toss us talk about kind of your contribution to this menu because I think you know <coughs> people maybe have been buying Breadman breads at at Whole Foods or at uh, various HEB outposts or maybe they know you from the farmers market, but you're you're doing a range of uh, a broader mix of uh breads and pastries maybe than people might expect
3: yeah um so as uh you know with uh, in a commercial setting obviously we have to be a little bit less creative um because of our our end user or customer in this point uh in this case because of you know you have to be a little bit more general in the approach and then everybody can use a very creative style product in a wholesale setting um so This gives me an opportunity to really to explore that creative side. I mean, something I've always wanted to do that I haven't really necessarily had the chance to outside of the farmers' markets on a more regular basis, Um, and to really get back into into a more kitchen setting and a more retail kitchen setting, if you will. It's been about twenty five or so years since I spent time in a, a restaurant that my parents owned many many moons ago, but. To, to have the opportunity now to collaborate with uh with jamie our executive pastry chef who's super creative got a lot of good experience and formerly of latab she and i collaborate really well and it, it allows me to now bring in a lot of the family driven restaurant or uh recipes that i've experienced and had growing up and now kind of bringing that to the community and getting uh, an opportunity to uh to work with jamie on that but it's for me, it's just making uh, creative but yet approachable uh, baked goods, breads, etc., and introducing that to to the community. I'm also taking a uh, an educational approach to this too. In other words, educating the community of like really good artisan bread, what it's supposed to look like, the color of it, the caramelization, um, different products. Like from uh, my background being Greek, to introduce them to this side of town that may or may not have had access to it in the past. And so I'm really excited to be able to, again, kind of expand on my creativity.
0: So like, what are maybe a couple of the products that are available at White Elm that you wouldn't have been able to do in like a, in a wholesale kind of environment?
3: Sure, so really primarily on the, on the, let's say on the pastry counter or the pastry case, you know, we we have a pastry program at, at Breadman where we provide vinoiseries, a different variety of croissants. But you know, I really never get a chance to really dress up uh, a croissant to elevate that. So um, our PRW croissant, for example, it's our plain croissant. We pipe it with a pistachio pastry cream. We make a raspberry jam in house that also gets piped inside. And then we, we dip it in a white chocolate ganache and give it a nice little pistachio crunch on the outside. That's not something I could ever do with man because that's obviously very specific. Also very delicious, but again, very specific. Um, our hot mama croissant, for example, um, it's a spiced chocolate ganache that's got gold leaf on the outside as well as vanilla pastry cream piped in. And then if you go to my roots with being Greek, you know, the bougatsa is, is a very popular, common baked good that you get a lot of people eat it for, for a breakfast, believe it or not, which is a semolina custard wrapped in uh, phyllo and it's dusted with powdered sugar and cinnamon. You know, that's very, very, very specific. Obviously, it wouldn't work across... Uh, across the channels, if you will, in a wholesale environment. So that's the kind of stuff that I love that I get to do, but I could never do it Redman. man.
0: Yeah, no, that that looked good uh, when it hit the table, and then my friend was like, oh, no, that's going home with me. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I'm very intrigued by that pastry, and usually I would offer some sort of opinion about it at this moment in the broadcast, <laughs> uh, but I was denied the opportunity to try it. So I... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to – long story short, I guess I'm going to have to come back and, and try some more of that. Um, I will say two of my favorite things from from what I did get to try, um, that duck bond me, so many times I think people are sort of afraid of, like, you know, rich duck flavor. I mean, but, but this – that sandwich is just very ducky and and still has the other components, right? Still has the pickled veg, still has the jalapeno, so in that sense, it feels, you know, it, it's familiar, right? I, I recognize it as a banh mi, but, you know, taken to a place that, that maybe I haven't had that before.
2: Well, that's exactly what we were hoping for. That's perfect response. So, yeah, we, you know, again, working with these ingredients and, and part of the reason as well, we cross utilize. So having duck confit prepped in house all the time, we're able to have duck fat all the time, which plays a part in our palm frites. Uh, Just putting that little extra nudge on a lot of these menu items that they might not get somewhere else because we know uh, how to, again, address our mise en place, knowing what we have in-house, knowing what we can cross-utilize, that makes it, our our toolbox becomes that much sharper. Uh, We're able to, again, make something a little more clever. And yeah, again, I'm glad you like that. I'm glad you got it. That's what we're hoping is that a lot of people will get this. Uh, that a sandwich just isn't a sandwich, we can take it to the next level.
0: Well, and, and the pommes frites are the other, the other one that, that sort of came to mind. I, You know, there's so many, you know, there's a lot of like generic frozen french fries out there. So to have them that are crispy on the outside and soft in the middle and and fried in duck fat, you know, I, I don't have like, a, I don't have any great insight to share with the people that are listening to this other than that, these are really outstanding French fries, and people should go eat them. Excellent, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So, Scott, maybe what are what are maybe one of the other two um, items on the menu that you're particularly excited about, or, or sort of excited to share with
2: people? Well, I mean, you know, like any large family, and with a lot of children, you love them all. Um, some of the more creative, creative and clever ones uh, we like are, you know, getting into. Uh, the sweet potato lasagna, having something that's a comfort food without doing a pasta lasagna, but uh, kind of stealing from the French potato gratin, uh, dauphinoise, mayonnaise, all of those types. We kind of combined it and utilize it to make a lasagna. So in a bakery, having something that is gluten free uh, is a start. Uh, it's vegetarian, yet another good option here so that people can eat a little bit healthier. And that's kind of where that came from was having a, a big hearty lasagna flavor, uh, without being weighed down for the rest of the day. Um, some of the others, I mean, again, I, I love making the soups. We've handcrafted our soups at chenu obviously for the entire time and, you know, bringing something that's, uh, well-crafted homemade, uh, That's something we really love, too, making all the stocks in-house, so cross-utilizing. Some of the other dishes, we kind of toyed with the Caesar salad. We brought in three different greens. Rather than just romaine, we're bringing in the baby kale and the baby arugula. Uh, Some of that pepper spice from the arugula and a little uh, bit of the substance of the kale to kind of put a different twist on the Caesar salad. Uh, It's still our classic dressing with a coddled egg and anchovy. Um, and, and then again, you get into the entrees uh, where we do the filet mignon, but we're serving it rather than a sauce. We're doing a bone marrow butter uh, and that bone marrow butter. It's a, you know, a, a compound butter that we make in house roasting the bone marrow. And we'll also use that on top of the, the Neil Michael Heller burger. Uh, that's a big one for us. So adding an extra boost of flavor and, you know, cheating with the French uh, using that butter and bone marrow and really jazzing it up. Um, it's kind of the way we used to do a Kobe beef hamburger at Chez with seared foie gras on top of it, just, you know, over the top with black truffles and Bordelais. So we wanted to kind of take our burger to the next level without being over the top with foie gras. So that's where the bone marrow butter came in.
0: Yeah. And then Chico, let me, let me ask you kind of about the pizza because I'm, I was looking at the toppings and it, it doesn't look like you're doing plain cheese and you're certainly not doing pepperoni. You're about a week into this. What's that been like with customers? Are they oh, the, are they I mean, intrigued by the pizzas or are they like, this is great, but I want you know I want sausage and peppers?
4: No. I, in actuality, the response from the customers has been fantastic. Our biggest selling pizza is uh, the Greek pizza, which features the lamb meatballs on top. Again, the duck. Hard to go wrong with duck, but we've got a pizza that has duck confit on top. Um, we've got a vegetarian style pizza uh, featuring uh, roasted cauliflower. Uh, it, it's just we our focus again, kind of echoing what both Tassos and Scott said, was taking this to the next level, delivering what the expectation is, but taking that expectation up a notch with chef driven products uh, that are really going to blow people's minds.
0: And you know, I I kind of floated better than Barnaby's is kind of uh, you know my expectations for maybe what you might be trying to achieve, but but you probably you probably put that a different way. I mean, what do you what do you kind of see as the goal for this in, in terms of where it is in the market and kind of how you want people to respond to it?
4: Well you have to wonder, you know, we kind of fill a niche in the marketplace that for us we saw as an opportunity. You don't really have an existing full scale bakery that can produce breads and pastries along with a full-scale, full-service menu that is chef-driven currently. So we saw that as an opportunity, especially in the neighborhood like the West Side, which isn't as fully restaurant-developed as, say, the Heights or the Corridor, Upper Kirby, any of those neighborhoods, but is still just as deserving, uh, just as in need of uh, this incredible product, White Elm, that we want to deliver.
0: Yeah, and then, us uh, how are you... Um how are you kind of feeling about things a week in? Like, are you? Is there anything that sort of surprised you about how people are responding to this stuff? You know, I think between the three of us,
3: including Stacy, the four of us, let's say, I think we were all going into this with a conservative approach on just what the response would be, maybe what the numbers would look like after the first week. And I think we were all, you know, obviously our first week. I think it's safe to say that it, it met and exceeded all of our expectations. The community has absolutely come out and embraced us. Um, I, you know, we had been originally trying to get this open pre COVID and obviously that got delayed for obvious reasons, but you know, it's been, it's been a great response. Um, I couldn't be more happy with uh, just, you know, the the response to the products in the bakery case and on the counter, Um, you know, responses. I've had a lot of family and friends that have come to support us as well. And, you know, I've got family that are in the restaurant business and have been for over a hundred years and, you know, everybody's very happy with what they see and the, you know, the excitement of what more that we could actually bring to the community outside of what we started with in terms of seasonal products, seasonal menu changes. Um, super excited. I think, I think the, I think it's an equal excitement between us and the community.
0: And Scott, do you, having kind of seen what's selling and, and seen how people are responding? I mean, do you and Stacy have ideas for maybe how you want to grow the menu or, or things that you, you can try that maybe you, you weren't sure would have worked before you opened?
2: Oh, absolutely. And, and again, that's where Stacy is incredibly creative. I, I joined, I, I grabbed onto her coattails almost 30 years ago, working with her in, in the kitchen at Shea New. Uh, we, you know, I really saw how incredibly creative she is, but also disciplined to the tradition of cooking. And she's able to take, you know, she's really the mastermind behind all the savory. I am her sous chef. I've been that way forever. Now we can take that and I can take her creativity and put it into function. So we don't have to have four sous chefs running around here. Uh, we can put it into practical form, create the recipes for repetition, consistency, and quality. Um, so, yeah, we've we've already got a book. I mean, we're ready to go with a number of different items. But we've even looked at, you know, in different areas as we might get uh, – You know territorial and be able to put some different products out uh, that appeal to different areas in the city so we're uh we're definitely ready Uh, we've got an arsenal of product and again stacy just keeps creating and lucky for me i get to try them all out at home
0: So, (laughs) so give me a sneak peek what's like uh what's one thing you think we'll see on we'll see on the menu maybe as a
2: special in the next uh two three four weeks Well, she gets a great tumbled pork ribeye uh, for, you know, we'll get into a a pork ribeye. Some of the others, I mean, we've talked about doing some of the braised dishes. We love bringing the lamb in with the Greek influence, Uh, bringing in not just, you know, a traditional lamb shank, but uh, jazzing that up a little bit, but using those old world techniques of braising. Uh, The brunch items are going to be outstanding when you see those. We're really excited about some of that. Uh, a, a sweet whipped ricotta for a strawberry tartine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, cheese. I won't let loose of too many. We want to keep you guys, you know, waiting and <laughs> anticipating.
0: Yeah, so so Chico, what are you thinking? I mean, uh, obviously brunches in the plans, and, and it seems like a no-brainer uh, given the, the pastry program and the overall concept. Uh, roughly, when do you think we'll roll that out?
4: We are targeting uh,
0: the weekend, I believe, of
4: the 29th of this month. To get started with brunch we'll run uh brunch service from 10 in the morning until three in the afternoon both saturday and sunday saturday we'll kick over at three to the regular menu sunday we'll go ahead and uh in service at three o'clock and let the restaurant and the staff take a break sunday evening uh, we're also going to uh, add additional hours on the front side in the coming weeks opening at 8 a.m rather than 10 a.m obviously we all know how hard uh, it is right now to staff restaurants um, so much going on in the world. And th- it's been a struggle for us. Uh, I'm not going to lie about it. We are actively searching for uh, front of house staff members. We, we were very blessed to get the original team that we had in place before we started this. Um, and then through them bring on other uh, team members uh, in back of house, both with the bakery and with the kitchen. But uh We look forward to, I mean, it's fun because instead of rolling everything out in one shot, we get the opportunity to uh, blow people away with one section and then move on to the next section and then move on to the next section. So we're looking forward to it.
0: Well, and let me just throw this out to any, any of you. I mean, you know, opening in the middle of a pandemic, opening at a time when you have every possible range of, I want to go out to eat and live my life and I'm not worried to I'm not leaving my house, I'm not, I'm bunkered in. What what kind of response are you are you getting from people and, and what are you kind of doing to keep people safe right now?
4: I'd say that the vast majority of folks that have come into the restaurant are 100% open to getting back to normal or 100% open to dining out. Um. I think that just looking at our to-go business, which I'll be honest, really surprised me. It's probably pretty close to a dead split uh, between dine-in business. So therein lies the conundrum is that how close are we getting back to normal versus how close are we to staying where we're at today? What we can offer to folks is that we are in complete uh, uh, accordance with all the guidelines set through by the city of Houston, Um, to make sure that all guests are wearing masks, all servers, all employees are healthy, um, that the restaurant remains tip-top clean at all times. Past that, we would just encourage folks, come on out, check us out. Even if it's just for to-go business, you can order online. You don't have to speak to anybody in the restaurant. Um, You can pick up your food here. We're still actively searching for a a, uh, delivery partner, I'll be honest with you. The margins that a lot of the delivery companies ask for uh, are uh, exorbitant and erode any profit margin, making it almost uh, unobtainable to utilize them, which is a tough – it's a tough thing. I'm sure a lot of uh, my peers in the business would probably agree with that. But, like I said, there's a lot of opportunities for us to grow outside of this. We've already seen requests for bulk orders uh, for baked goods, for pastry goods. We have seen bulk orders for pizzas already going out the door. So, really, for us, it's less about trying to reinvent the wheel or create new opportunities, but just listening to the customers and taking it all in and kind of going with the flow. I,
0: I got to say, if you're, <laughs> I, I would be very amused if you're doing like bulk pizza orders for little league teams, because the (laughs) idea of like a whole bunch of kids chowing down on lamb meatballs and duck confit, you know, I don't, I don't have kids, but that's, that's the kind of, those are the kind of kids I want in my life. There you go.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: My little little Greek babies love that Greek pizza. So maybe we're biased, but. (laughs) (laughs) And if I could expand on
2: that a little bit, you know, as far as the cuisine, it's something we had all talked about at the beginning and the, you know, the pastries for sure and the savory food, they're all, you know, 90% of the savory is built to travel. You know, 100% of the pastries are built to travel. And that was the thought even going in before we knew what COVID would be. Um, So that's been a real pleasure to see, to open up with that and see, all right, let's see how this works. Let's see how it travels, how we're boxing up. And it's been right where we hoped it would be.
0: Yeah. I mean, was that, I mean, was that kind of a consideration when you were putting this together, like that the food was going to have to travel and that you,
2: you know, would have to prepare it in such a way that it it could go in a box for 15 minutes? Absolutely. I mean, we've, I told Chico the other day, we've m- used more to-go boxes this week than we have in a year at Shea Noom. Uh We're used to doing food that is not built to travel. Uh, of course, you won't see the soufflés here. You know, you're not going to see the escargot. But that's the, absolutely. That was the mindset going in was to make sure that we make food. That's going to taste great when they get home and either have to reheat it or, uh, eat as they go. So, uh, yeah, hundred percent. That's what we wanted to be ready for. Well, and,
0: and Chico, Scott did said that they're thinking about different dishes that might serve different parts of Houston. So, uh, I, of course I have to ask you, you know, do you, do you see this concept expanding to multiple locations?
4: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We spent enough time in developing it, partially somewhat thanks to COVID, so that we really could dot our I's and cross our T's. Um, I, I'm a big believer in the whole city. You know, I've spent the last 10 years uh, running restaurants or owning restaurants within a pretty specific geographic area. But looking at areas like the West Side here in Memorial, further west in Katy, up north, Kingwood, north of that, uh, 99 and 59 uh heading west over to the woodlands uh pearland sugarland these are all parts of town that uh have the same demographics uh the same families uh same incomes as any other part of houston that deserve this same type of food and i i see absolutely no reason in the world why not to take this concept once we have completely dialed it in and move it to as many places that'll have us
0: so in an ideal world you know when when is the second location opening?
4: Well, I'll tell you. Day two, Tossos will get a laugh out of this because you overheard it. Day two, <clears throat> our uh, landlord, uh, KM uh, Memorial, was here and said right off the bat to us, we've got another location for you out in Humble. We'd like to talk to you uh, about that. And I looked at him. I go, you realize I've been open for exactly a day and a half. Yeah. Can we get like five minutes? So we all got a good chuckle out of that. But honestly. If things continue in the same way that I think that they're going to continue within year one, I'd say somewhere between seven and nine months out, we could possibly be opening location number two. And the beautiful thing about this too, Eric, is that every store doesn't have to be the same size. We can absolutely fit a store to a region uh, if it needs to be 2,000 square feet, cut down on the number of tables, uh, maybe a couple of the menu items, but still – utilize this store and other stores as commissaries for lack of a better, uh, that's an opportunity that we can explore as well. If we need to do a bigger store than this one, where we're looking at seating 150 to 200 folks, that's also an opportunity we can explore.
0: And then, uh, I don't want to forget Breadman. How is, how's that going? I mean, you know, you've been, you were so restaurant focused, obviously you had to kind of shift from that. You've been, you've been pushing retail through, uh, some of the grocery stores and the farmer's market. I mean, how are you uh, How are you doing?
3: We're actually doing well. Believe it or not, we haven't really taken a major hit since the pandemic started. There was maybe one month, which ironically was last month, which is typically our slowest month of the year. That was our lowest month so far. Our relationship with Whole Foods uh, continues to grow and expand every, uh, every month. Um, they even started carrying more of our products this month. They took on three more uh, products at all their stores. So now they all carry. <clears throat> um, we also took on the Independence Heights store, for example, the 365 store. They're actually converting that to a normal Whole Foods. So now we have burger buns, for example, and our New England style hot dog buns are in all the Whole Foods stores. Um, we introduced the, the olive walnut now on the bread wall. So there's, There's a good nine SKUs that are in 12 whole food stores. And then when HEB came on board right after the shutdown occurred, um, we've got 14 HEBs and the 12 whole food stores. It's kept us pretty busy. Um, And uh, now we're actually seeing an increase this month um, of restaurants coming back online. Um, A majority of our business, like you put it, 78% of it to be exact, were were restaurants pre-COVID. And we've been fortunate with our grocery retail partners now, including HEB, uh, and there's a good possibility another one could be coming on soon, which I will not say who yet. Uh, but um, yeah, we've made the necessary pivots to keep the company going, to keep people employed, um, to keep the ba- you know the ovens busy, and um, so far I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, so Chico,
0: before I I wrap this up with the lightning round, is there a Any other aspect of White Elm that you would like to discuss?
4: You know, really, I just want to say, Eric, you know, thank you to the neighborhoods out here and uh, supporting us moving forward. Like I said, one of the reasons we look specifically at Memorial to start was the Energy Corridor. And we're just really looking forward to when folks can get back to work, hopefully sooner than later, and offering them, you know, whether it be an opportunity to come and dine in with us or uh, the opportunity to serve them where they're at via uh, to-go options.
0: All right, well, that uh, I can't let you leave without playing the lightning round. Let's do it. Uh, three, three people makes for a, a complicated uh, <laughs> five easy questions, five short answers, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make the best of this. All right, Scott Simonson, let me start with you. What is your favorite cookbook?
2: Favorite cookbook? I mean, there's so many, but the one that jumps out right away is uh, Le Bec Fin, the, the restaurant in Philadelphia.
0: Uh, Chico, how about you?
4: Cookbook. Oh, man. That's a tough one. Um, oh, Lord. You know, uh, joy of cooking. I, I, yeah. I keep it simple.
0: Tossos, how about you? Favorite cookbook? Modernist, Modernist <coughs> bread. Good answer. All right. Uh, Tossos, what's the first band you ever saw in concert? Tim, Tim McGraw.
2: Chico? The cult. Scott, how about you? Oh, God. Mother's Finest at Six Flags in Atlanta. <laughs> all right
0: Scott what is your uh what is your fast food guilty pleasure it has to come from a restaurant with a drive through.
2: fast food guilty oh it's Wendy's I, I, I'm sorry to say but yeah Wendy's Chico how
0: about and that's you that's rare uh,
3: jack-in-the-box tacos toss us how about you good lord when's the last time I went to fast food okay uh uh Taco Bell tacos sadly <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, and then uh, we're, we're – <laughs> I think we're, we're, we may run out of time when I do this. But Tassos, who's your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present?
3: Well, there's no present. Forgive me because I'm not a Houstonian. Uh, present, uh, I'm an Altuve fan. I like Jose. Chico, how about you?
4: Uh, Mad Max.
0: That's a great answer. Uh, Scott, how about you? Oh, God. Akeem the dream, baby. All right, gentlemen, uh, we are running out of time, so I'm going to cut it at four questions. And uh, Chico, give us the website for White Elm Cafe Bakery. Whiteelmbakery.com, all one word. Gentlemen, thank you so much for doing this. Pleasure as always. Thanks, Eric. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.